if you are brand new to, let's say, a, a new market or a new county you're working in, I would definitely talk to other investors who have dealt with those inspectors for whatever you're looking to do. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. I want to introduce to you Ash Patel. He's a full-time commercial real estate investor. He's going to be doing the interview today and a lot of them moving forward. I'm still going to be doing interviews, just not as many. And he is going to ask tough questions while still building rapport. That way it's not awkward. He's a good friend of mine. Join me in welcoming Ash Patel. Hello, Best Ever listeners. Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Ash Patel and I'm with our guest today. Today, Joe Cornwell. Joe is joining us from Cincinnati, Ohio. He was a previous guest on episode 1692 and 1330. If you Google Joe Fairless and Joe Cornwell, the episodes will pop up. Joe, thank you for joining us. And how are you today? I'm good. How are you doing? Good. Joe is a full-time police officer, as well as a real estate agent, an investor, and owns a construction company. He has five years of real estate investing experience and has 37 units over eight properties. And a fair disclaimer, Joe and I are also friends. I'm an investor in the deal that he's going to talk about today. And Joe beats me at poker often. So Joe, before we get into your particular skill set, can you tell us a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Yeah. So like you said, I've been a police officer now almost 10 years, been doing it full time for about nine and I've been doing the real estate agent business for about five years. I've been buying rental property for about five years. And the construction company is about three years old as far as formalized. I was kind of doing it non-formalized prior to that for about a year, but it's been an actual company and focused on growing business for about three years. So you're one of the few people that has over 24 hours in each day. Yeah. I've gotten better over the years at building systems to help me do all the things I do. But yeah, it's a lot of long hours, long days, and sometimes a lack of sleep. But so far, it's all been worth it. All right. So that sounds like it might be a fourth episode, time management on four different unique careers. Yeah. So Joe, (laughs) let's dive into this deal. And let's start from the top where you found the deal and you pitched investors. I invested. Even before that, basically what led to this deal was a long period of time, almost 18 months or so, that I was looking for a large multifamily deal. So for me, large being 30, 40, 50 units. And in the Cincinnati market, where we're obviously based, it's very difficult to find that inventory size. So I looked really hard for something like that, and it, I just couldn't find anything that made sense. So that led me to expanding my area that I look in, which is part of why I bought the property that we're talking about today. And it also expanded on what I'm looking for. So this was a smaller multifamily. It's eight units and it's in a town that is about 30, 40 minutes east of Cincinnati in a more rural part of Cincinnati or greater Cincinnati. So it's a little bit outside of what I had done in the past and what I was looking for, but the initial purchase price was 60000 So for eight units, 60000 I'm sure for most people would be on the face of it seemed like a pretty good deal, except this was an old farmhouse that was actually converted to a four family, probably in the 50s, and then converted to eight studio apartments in the 80s. So it's been through a lot of transition and none of that construction was done very well in the past. 
So basically, after I got into this property and started the initial demo, I realized that this building was, in all likelihood, probably a candidate to be torn down. That's not the route that I ended up going. And I ended up doing basically a full gut back to just the frame of the building and a complete rebuild from the foundation all the way up to the roof. And it was definitely my most challenging, longest, most expensive and frustrating renovation projects that I've done. But we just wrapped it up a couple months ago, got it leased out. So if you want to dive into some of the specifics, that's kind of the big picture of it. The devil's in the details and there's a lot of devils here. So how did you find this eight unit? Okay, this one was actually on the MLS and it had been sitting for a while, which is pretty uncommon in our market. So it kind of caught me by surprise. I figured there were some red flags with it, but again, it's a little bit rural. So not a lot of investors like the rural neighborhoods. What I liked about this area that I was unfamiliar with is that it had probably been 15, 20 years since I had actually been out that way that far. And the development from when I was a kid until now was incredible. It was not at all what I expected. There's new businesses, there's strip malls, there's restaurants. So it went from what I remembered as a very small kind of farm town with a handful of houses and a handful of buildings and gas stations to a relatively populous, still small rural town, but way more developed than I anticipated. So that gave me more motivation to pursue it, but also the purchase price. Like I said, I think it was fifty-five or sixty thousand dollars was the purchase price, and I figured that there's quite a bit of room there if we could get it up and running and performing as it should. Now, the initial look at it, I could tell it was in really rough shape. I think there was three occupied apartments. There was open plumbing lines that were leaking into the building. The electrical was all messed up. There were structural problems, so I knew going in it was going to be a pretty significant rehab. So seven thousand dollars a unit. That yeah. seems like a steal. How large is each unit? So these are small studios. So when I purchased the building, the way they were laid out was about 225 square feet. I ended up redoing the layouts of the building and made it a little bit more efficient, less boxed off areas and made it a little bit more open concept. So the finished product now is about 250 square feet per studio. And I was actually able to add two one bedroom apartments on the third floor due to a very large attic space that I did not know was there. It was actually covered up. There was no access to it. So when we did the demo and tore the ceilings out, we realized there was actually an eight foot high ceiling in the attic in which we added a dormer addition to the back half of the building. And it allowed me to create two one bedroom apartments that would have been studios from the upper level. So now it's six studios and two one bed apartments as a finished product. Joe, I don't remember the exact details of how I got involved in this, but if you recall, I'm an investor in this deal. So do you know how that started? Yeah. So we had a few conversations previously, just kind of what we both had going on. And we talked about, hey, something makes sense in the future. Let's look at partnering up on something. And this came at a time where I had just gotten divorced. I had just settled a lot of my financials with that stuff. And I wanted to continue growing my investing business, but I didn't have a ton of capital just sitting around for a deal like this. Plus it was, as we mentioned, a large renovation project. So I knew there was going to be some pretty substantial out-of-pocket costs, at least up front. And when I first found this deal, I remember us discussing it. And I don't even know if it was initially as kind of a pitch, but I think we were just talking it out. And I told you what I had going on. And I remember it was something that piqued your interest, something you were interested in getting into a residential deal. And I know that's not your go-to investment or your first look, but it was something you were interested in at the time. And I think it kind of just made sense for both of us after we discussed it. 
and the purchase price was roughly 60000 Yeah, I think it was sixty at closing. And then I think we ended up getting an initial construction budget through a local bank for one twenty-five. I think that was initially what we had budgeted. Okay, so sixty and then a one twenty-five renovation. Right. And I remember this property appraised high. Do you remember what the appraisal was? Yeah, I, I think our initial as completed appraisal was three hundred. So that was basically the bank's appraiser saying that, okay, if you get this building fixed up and leased out, we're gonna put it at the three hundred ish value. And it might have even been a little bit higher than that, but that was kind of their initial assessment of the completed renovation. Okay. And in your pro forma, what were the current rents for the three units that were rented and what were the projected rents? They were paying about 400. They were all month to month. And I don't even honestly know if they were paying at the time of purchase. They were very rough tenants. They all had a lot of issues going on in their lives. But my initial underwriting for this was that even if I could not raise the rent, which obviously was the goal. But even if I couldn't, at 400 a unit with the tenants paying utility, because one of the problems with this building was that the landlord was paying all utilities. So all the electric, all the sewer, water, trash, everything. Part of my plan was to individually meter each apartment and get the tenant paying their own utility, which would be electric heat. So I still pay the water and trash, but that's it. And even at 400 a unit with the tenant taking over utilities would actually still have been an okay deal. But luckily, the rents in that market have gone up a lot, even from the time of purchase. And then almost over a year, it took to actually complete the project, where it ended up being a lot higher return than initially expected. We'll get back to the show in just two minutes. But first, some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. As your portfolio grows, you need financial management services you can rely on to help you save money and continue making the right choices for your company's future. Realestateaccounting.co's top-tier CFO team uses their deep industry and operating experience to guide real estate syndicators, investors, and family offices through every pivotal moment and crucial decision. Their fractional CFO services include budget-to-actual, cash flow and distributions, and reporting and valuation. Go to realestateaccounting.co forward slash CFO to find out why REA is one of the fastest growing real estate accounting companies around. The real estate experts provide timely analysis and consultations to help you make the most informed decisions possible. See and trust where your portfolio is headed with the customized financial reports based on the KPIs that matter to you and your business. Try it risk-free today at realestateaccounting.co forward slash CFO. If you're not sure where to start investing or need help taking the next step, mentorship and coaching is one of the best ways to get going. Think Multifamily is a leading apartment acquisition and education company who provides true one-on-one coaching to help you invest for your family's future. Their servant leadership approach will guide you to successfully scale your real estate business or assist you to diversify your investments in multifamily. Go to thinkmultifamily.com forward slash coaching to learn how they help working professionals just like you transform their future through partnering and community. In fact, the majority of real estate investors who partner with Think Multifamily get involved in a general partnership within six months. Thinkmultifamily.com forward slash coaching highlights the partnerships, joint ventures, and resources all available through the coaching program. Go to thinkmultifamily.com forward slash coaching to learn how to become a member and get involved. What were the projected rents? Well, I think maybe 425, 450 was- Okay, so um, a marginal increase in rents. Right. It was more of creating a better product and transitioning utilities off of the owner. 
and we were able to get 475 for the studio apartments as of a couple months ago when we started leasing. And and honestly, it's probably a little low because I had hundreds of messages to take the vacancies. So in hindsight, I probably could have been a little bit more aggressive, but I'm happy with where we're at. And obviously there's always room for increases in the future. Okay. And just to give our best ever listeners an idea of the size of this place, it's three stories and less than 2000 square feet total. Yeah, I think it's like 2,400 square feet when you account for everything. Obviously, there's dead space, there's closet space, and then we were able to add a laundry facility onto the side of the building. So that was part of the plans was to do a laundry room addition, which we did add. But yeah, as far as living space, it is very small. Now, the upper apartments that I was talking about with the one bedrooms, I think those are about 550, 600 square feet. So they're obviously about double the size of the other ones, but the studios are very small. All right. So 2,400 square feet and 10 units. Eight. Eight with the two additional that you have? No. So it's six studios and two Ah, one bed. So it's eight total. Okay. I should know this. I invested in this (laughs) deal. Okay. So you get the green light. We close on the deal. Yes. Now the fun starts. Yes. So one of the major roadblocks that I ran into right off the bat with this project was obviously COVID hit, right? None of us anticipated. I think we closed on this literally like a few weeks before the lockdown here in Ohio. And that immediately created a ton of issues because most of the building departments weren't operating. Most of the material suppliers weren't operating. If you could get materials and you're adding literally double, triple, quadruple the time for the contractors who work for me, just to send them to the store to pick up something that we may need could be a three, four hour trip that would have been 30, 40 minutes before. So it added a ton of stress on the project just from the onset because of the lockdown delays. Now, obviously, everybody was dealing with that across the country, so that's not really unique to this project or property, but it compounded with the other issues we ran into, which the next major issue was, for the first time in my construction and investing experience, I have a local jurisdiction that has what they claim to be jurisdiction over the building permits, meaning structural, framing, certificate of occupancy, all of the non-electrical and plumbing things, the local jurisdiction says they have authority over. And that's normally a benefit because you don't have to go to the county or the next biggest city. Exactly. Everything's down the road. Exactly. Small town, probably pretty quick in and out, not a lot of business going on. So that seemed great. However, I come to find out later after the fact that the county claimed They had authority over this area, and there was actually some sort of territorial battle, so to speak, between the county and the local town arguing over who had rights to the permit money and the inspections and all those things. Of course, they both want their piece of the money, and that's what they were kind of fighting over. It ended up causing a lot of issues for us, though. You pulled permits from the local municipality. Yes. Everything's good. You start renovations. Yes. We started renovations as planned, and they were very laid back as I anticipated it. A lot different than dealing with a big populous county that has thousands of permits and inspections going on at a time. So I had to pull permits from the county for the electrical, plumbing, and I think that was it initially. So I do my initial applications. Well, when that initial inspection happened, they said, hey, you guys are not allowed to do this work without building permits and we do all your fire inspections, we do your certificate of occupancy inspections. So there was a lot of things that 
they were not happy about going on with this project that they felt they should have been paid for and in charge of prior to me going to the local municipality. So that started a really bad situation that basically snowballed for the next eight months after that. Wait a minute. Did you go back to the local municipality and say, hey, this county inspector is telling me that they have jurisdiction? Yes. And he said they are wrong. (laughs) When I told the county what the local inspector said, they said he was wrong. They said that they've had this battle in the past and somehow it got decided at the state level and the state level that had sided with the county being uh, the ultimate authority on those inspections. Oh, so there's some history here. Yes. Where they battle. Yes. All right. So how were you able to get that resolved and how long did that take? So after the county got involved with the separate permits that they wouldn't typically be involved with, they wanted engineering reports. They wanted architectural designs. They wanted something I've never heard of called a lumen study. So for exterior lighting. I guess there's a way to calculate the amount of lumens being displayed on the outside of a building to basically conform to whatever their charts were for this size of building and for commercial property. They wanted energy rating certifications that would be basically typical in like a new construction building that's not typical in a 130-year-old property that was completely rehabbed. Basically, the bottom line is that I was involved in a toxic situation between two competing authorities, and I was going to be... They're going to make an example of I'm going to be the example of what happens when you don't side with them, let's say. So it was about as painful and delayed as you could possibly imagine. There was a lot of other things that built into that. Again, COVID. So they're short staff. They had about half the staff they normally would working in the building department. So that added extreme delays. Every single time they wanted me to involve a third party like the architects, an additional plumbing company to do the work that they were asking for, it obviously added more delays that weren't necessarily related to the building department, but it just continued adding cost and time and delays. So at the end of the day, this ended up going from what should have been about a six-month project to almost 14 months, and it also added about... 45, 50 grand over the budget. And that's not all from the time delays, but that was probably 90% of it. And then the extra holding costs, the extra permitting fees, the extra engineering and architectural cost. So all these things that were not initially accounted for that they ended up requiring on a county level added substantial costs to this project and by far the largest budget overrun I've had in my experience. You own a construction company, so going over budget shouldn't really be part of the equation. Yeah. By this much. Sure. Things happen in projects, and I typically build contingencies in place for things like this to happen, which I did in this case, but nothing to this degree. There were so many things that I didn't plan for, I didn't even imagine being a possibility that ended up happening. And as we all know, Material costs over the past year have skyrocketed. So that was another factor. Had we completed this on time, we would have probably saved ten to 15000 just in inflationary material costs that would have happened after we were done. So, I mean, that was a big factor as well. But it was a nightmare to be sure. The good news is at the end of the day, it ended up still being a great deal, even better than expected. So the one silver lining or one of the silver linings to this deal is that with all the rising costs and the time delays through COVID, the rent demand has also went through the roof. The prices of rent in this area, especially in this more rural area, have shot up quite a bit. So at the end of the day, it actually still ended up being a better deal than anticipated, even with all the issues that we ran into. Yeah. Going back, the Lumen study, 
every time I buy a commercial building, the first thing I do is increase exterior lighting. And every one of my buildings is very brightly lit up. And I do that for a couple of reasons. One, it lets the drive-by, lets the neighboring traffic, neighboring residents know that there's new life into this building. Because often things that I buy are vacant or underused. But I've never had a municipality say anything about a lumen study. If anything, I've often gotten calls saying, hey, the police chief loves that you lit up the building. Yeah. And at times I've gone overboard where a neighbor will walk over and be like, hey, that light is going right <laughs> in my bedroom. <laughs> right, right. Okay, I'll deal with that. So they're really out to make an example out of you and just really give you a hard time, put you through the ringer with every step of the process. It certainly seemed that way. So at any point, were you able to get the local municipality on the phone or in a conversation with the county people and let them duke it out? At the very beginning, that was the approach I had. And I tried to get them on board for someone to basically come forward and say, okay, we discussed this. This is what we want you to do. They were not very forthright with any backroom conversations they had. My understanding is that there was a conversation between the head building inspector for the county and the head building inspector for the local town. I don't think that conversation went well from the little bit of information they would give me. But at the end of the day, it basically became where the local county building department told me that if I did not comply with their regulations and I did not go through them for the permitting, that they would not approve any sort of certificate of occupancy at any point. So they said, even if I got everything approved by the local government, that they would never approve the other required permits, which was the electrical and plumbing. And part of the issue is, even if I wanted to just say, fine, I'm just going to move forward regardless, do what you want to do to me. The problem with that is that in this case, I had already pulled all of the meter bases so we could install a new service. And the local power company will not install your meters until you get approval from the county. So at this point, we're down a path that cannot be turned from because there's no way to power that building with a new service until it gets approved by the county, who obviously was holding me up with all these other things that they wanted. So oh. they had me under their thumb and there was really nothing I could do other than try to go along with it. And I don't want this to be, oh, pity me, because there was a lot of things that had I worked with this county before. I would have known some of the things that they liked differently than some of the other counties I've worked with on commercial property. I'd done residential, but that's a totally different field as far as inspections. So there was definitely some things that negatively affected me just from my lack of experience dealing with their specific requirements. So I think a lot of it was kind of an example to be made of me, but I'm not 100% innocent in this, let's say. At the end, did you have to pull permits from both the municipality and the county? No. So I think I paid that. It was like a $50 initial application fee for the local town. And that was all I ever paid because as soon as I was told by Claremont County that they're not approving anything until I give them what they want, I just cut ties with the local town. And I did tell them, I said, hey, look, this is what they're telling me. I have to go with them to get the things I need to get this building up and running. So I'm sorry. That's what they're telling me. This is what I'm going to do. And they didn't really have any pushback. I think they kind of understood the situation I was in and they didn't want to further add to the issues I had already had. Plus they were happy that I'm taking this completely run down, basically about to fall down property and completely rebuilding it, making a beautiful apartment building, a full gut rehab. And they knew that I'm getting the people they had problems with out. And 
almost impossible not to bring better people in. Let's put it that way. All right. So it could have been a lot worse if the local municipality wanted to engage with the county. Yeah, I guess it could have paid double the permits, double the inspections had they really pushed back after that point. They would have ping-ponged you back and forth. Yeah. We'll get back to the show. But first, some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Do you manage your own rental properties? If you do, or if you're about to, I want to tell you about RentReady because I'm guessing they have some services that you wish you had. RentReady is a property management software that allows you to manage your business from your computer or phone. With RentReady, you're able to collect rent online and get paid. Find the perfect tenant with a built-in screening and listing service and get your leases signed with the click of a button. And tenants really love using RentReady's app too. They can pay rent using the card, ACH, cash. They can set up auto pay, get renter's insurance if you require it. And they can even build their credit score through RentReady's new credit reporting feature. And the best part, RentReady is unlimited. That's right, all this is flat priced. There's no tricks or hidden fees. RentReady is designed for investors who manage their own properties so that you don't have to worry about paying more for building your business. You can start managing and scaling your rental properties without scaling costs. And RentReady has given us an amazing deal to pass on to the best ever listeners. You can get RentReady's annual plan for only 54 bucks at rentready.com when you use our special code BESTEVER. That's R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I.com with the code B-E-S-T-E-V-E-R at rentready.com to get RentReady's annual plan for only 54 bucks. Did you know that credit checks miss 85% of the information landlords and property managers need to verify new tenants? That's a problem. The solution is Rentify. Rentify provides a platform that allows you to instantly access prospective tenants' financial information and compiles it all into a quick and easy-to-read report to help you select the highest quality tenants. You can access income, payroll, past rent payments, non-sufficient funds, and overdraft history all in one place. Rentify's reports instantly verify the full financial picture of the tenant, so there's no chance of being duped with false information. No one likes to be duped. And the best part is that you can have it all at your fingertips in as little as five minutes. Go check out Rentify at TrustRentify.com and stop wasting time and start fast-tracking the tenant screening process with confidence and ease. With Rentify, you'll no longer have to waste hours or even days collecting all the information you need to verify a tenant, which makes life easier for you and your applicants. Visit TrustRentify.com and use the promo code FAIRLESS for 25% off your first purchase. That's T-R-U-S-T-R-E-N-T-I-F-Y dot com and put in the promo code FAIRLESS. That's my last name, F-A-I-R-L-E-S-S, for 25% off your first purchase. What lessons should future investors, contractors learn from this? I think that in hindsight, some of the things I should have done, I should have contacted the county day one. As soon as we were looking at this property and say... Look, this is kind of what I'm looking at. What are your requirements? Who is the authority on XYZ? Because had I known that going in, we probably would have done some things differently. So that was one. Two, if you are brand new to, 
let's say a, a new market or a new county you're working in, I would definitely talk to other investors who have dealt with those inspectors for whatever you're looking to do. So if you're looking at large multifamily and you're going to be dealing with the commercial building department, if you're dealing with strip malls and you're looking at the commercial building code, you should get familiar with what are their requirements? What are they picky about? What are they not picky about? And if you can network with local investors who deal with those people or even local contractors who are familiar with those people, they should give you a path to be successful. And those are things I didn't do. I figured, okay, well, I've done this several times. How different can it really be? I'll figure it out. And that was kind of my attitude going in. And in hindsight, there was a lot of things I could have done in preparation that would have probably made it a less painful experience than it ended up being. Would you have done those things in your due diligence when you signed the contract or after purchase? Probably during my due diligence period, especially with me being completely unfamiliar with this very niche market that we're in. That's something I really should have figured out before we close. Because the problem is, I'm not saying in hindsight, I wouldn't have done it. I probably still would have done it. But if I known what I was walking into, if I could have talked to some of these contractors who are experts in this particular county, and they said, you really got to be careful with X, Y, Z, you got to do it this way. You got to talk to this guy or girl. Had I known that, I would have definitely approached it differently. Yeah. So one of the things I always do when I buy a building in a small town is I either email or try to meet with the city council, mayor, and the police chief. And just let them know what my plans are. Say, hey, I'm coming in to breathe new life into this building, excited to be in this town, heard a lot of great things. So yeah, the rural town checklist is a little bit different than what you would normally go through. Yeah, definitely. Well, Joe, I'm glad this turned out well, and it's fully rented now. Yes. And you've got a waiting list, I'm assuming, of renters. You did yeah, background I mean, yeah, checks, everything's yep, exactly. on the up and up. Wonderful. So thank you for sharing your story today. Lesson to all investors, contractors in these smaller towns, not only the municipality, 